right, turn to your neighbor and say, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Man, y'all don't know what, what just happened today. All I got to say is God is good. Amen. Is this mic too loud? Why do I sound so loud? It's okay. It's good. <laughs> All right. Um, I want you guys to open up your Bibles. Is it okay if I take off my shoes? I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's too late. It's for you. All right, we're going to open. It smells like flowers. All right. We're going to open up uh, the Bible to John chapter 4. Why do I feel like I have reverb? Is that what that's called? It's an echo. Uh, 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 uh. Anyway, you don't know? Okay. All right, we're going to look at John chapter 4, and we're going to look at the story of the Samaritan woman. Um, We're going to read through. It's quite a long passage, um, but we're going to read it through. It's about 43 verses. And so I'll take one verse, and you guys will take the following verse. I'll do odds. You'll do evens. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Um, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. (coughs) A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Do you not say that there are yet four months Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And many more believed because of his word. All right, we'll stop there. Amen. Amen. You know, out of all the four gospel accounts, John has by far, it's my favorite. And the reason why John is my favorite is because each gospel account, you'll notice, has a little bit of a a different target audience. And for John in particular, someone, well, one group, not just the only one, but one group that he really spoke to were women. Now, women back in the day were normally shunned. They were uh, looked down upon. They weren't considered equal. uh, But yet... John really took the time to add the details of either woman, the testimony of a woman, um, or just what Jesus has said or spoken to women according to uh, the gospel account. And so with that, I always had to think for John. Not John, but, you know, the gospel John. And uh, it was always my favorite. It always ministered to me so powerfully, especially this passage here, chapter 4. You can kind of say that it's my life story. So here's this Samaritan woman, and she's walking to the well. It says at the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour meant that it was about noon. So it's when the sun was the hottest, when it was the brightest, and when most people went in to take a nap. And the woman at this time decides, this is a good time for me to draw water, walks to the well and takes her water jar and begins to draw water, and there she meets Jesus. Now, why do you think a woman would go at the least convenient hour to draw water? Later on, we find out that 
She was a woman that had mad scandal attached to her name. Scandalous. In fact, when Jesus asked her later on about her husband, he then got a word of knowledge and said, yeah, you had five. And she was like, oh, snap. How'd you know that? (laughs) Here was a woman that was probably slandered, probably shunned. You guys ever read the book Scarlet Letter? Probably like that lady in Scarlet Letter. Despised, treated with contempt. And so when she knew that no one else would be at the well, she decided that's the best time where I can go and get water. I'm thirsty. And she goes in this noonday and she finds a man sitting there, let alone she recognizes right away that he's a Jew. Now, if it was another Samaritan man, it still would have been scandalous for him to talk to her. But the fact that he was a Jew at the time, Israel was divided from north to south. And Samaria, which was a southern part, was considered a lower, the lower half of Israel. And, And Jesus coming to her as a Jew, coming from the better side of Israel, speaking to her, a woman, was enough for her to question him. Like, you know who you are and you know who I am. Why are you talking to me? You know, in a lot of ways, that's a lot of our stories, isn't it? We're that person that kind of wanted to wait till not everybody saw, carried a lot of shame, carried a lot of baggage, carried a lot of scandal with us. Maybe it's not your scandal. Maybe it's a scandal in your family. Maybe it's what you've done. Maybe it's what people have done to you. And yet at this hour where nobody else would be there, she decides to go get a drink. You guys ever felt thirsty before? In fact, this is my story here that I was a thirsty girl. That I was thirsty and I was looking for some satisfaction. And the wells that I drew out of, you guys all know, were not the wells that were good for me. And so here's this Samaritan woman. She encounters Jesus. And Jesus Jesus speaks to her. And then he begins to tell her about a water that's unlike the water she's drawing from. And says, listen, if you know who I am, because at first she's like, do you know who I am? And he's like, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking a different question. In fact, you'd be asking me for a drink, not me asking you. She's like, what? What kind of drink are you talking about? He talks about water that if you drink, you will not be thirsty again. I'm talking about satisfaction here. Can I get a little bit more mic, please? sound like my husband. Give me some more, Mike. Please. And thank you. I love you. Uh, 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 uh. Where's this living water, she says. That's good. And Jesus begins to describe about a water that when you drink, you'll never get thirsty again. Listen, the Samaritan woman, long story short, encounters Jesus at the well. Not only does she encounter him, but get this, he prophesies over her. And he says something about her life that nobody else could have possibly known if they were a stranger. And he says, where's your husband? He asked her a question. Did he know the answer to that question? Yeah, he did. Where's your husband? He asked. And she said, um, I don't have a husband. And he goes right to the fact and says, you're right. You had five. And she was blown away. She gets this supernatural encounter with Jesus. Just at that moment. And she says this, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Like, wow, Samaritan woman, you are a genius. So I perceive that you are a prophet. It's funny. Um, I was talking with Sarah uh, the other day. We were at Car- Caribou, I think. And um, we were just talking about the gift of prophecy. And I was telling her, man, you know, you know, I know that you're hungering for the prophetic. But me, I'm hungering for another level of the prophetic. Like, I know that you guys see me call people out and prophesy. But, man, I want to just go up to somebody and be like, you have two brothers. And one of them, his name is Michael. And she looked at me and she goes, I do have two brothers, and one of them is named Michael. And I was like, shut up. I was like, stop lying, girl. And she goes, she goes, you knew that, right? I was like, I don't know that. She said, you knew that. And I was like, I don't know. Shut up. And both of us just looked at each other. We're like, shut up. Like, it was so crazy. I was just like, what? I was like, dang. I was like, you have two brothers. She goes, I have two brothers. I'm like, one of them's name is Michael. And she goes, yeah, one of them is Michael. And I was like, dang, I'm good. I didn't even know I was on that level, but clearly I'm on that level. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> I was telling her one of the reasons why I love the gift of prophecy or why the prophetic is so important is because when someone gets prophesied over the details and the secrets of their heart, they just know that they know that God is alive. Like, man, how could you have possibly known that? I didn't tell anybody that. Only, only God must have known that. And to hear those very words being spoken back to you, that's just like an encounter with God. And that's basically what the Samaritan woman has. She had an encounter with God. And not only that, Jesus begins to describe a little bit more and they talk a little bit more. And she begins to talk about this Messiah that's supposed to come. And I love, 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 love this. It says here in verse, um, 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So gangster. So gangster. You know, the first person that Jesus personally revealed that he was the Christ was a woman. And it wasn't just any woman, it was a shunned woman. It was a woman that was surrounded by scandal and it was a woman from the place... The location that she was from was a rejected location. Out of all the people, it wasn't his disciples that he revealed that revelation to first. It wasn't, you know, someone that had proper standing or, you know, that had the background check. Out of everybody, he chose someone that the world would have considered the lowly of of the lowly. And he made it clear to her, I... I am who you're talking about. I love that. I love that because it's so telling about what kind of God we serve. Who Jesus is. He's not impressed by what other people are impressed by. He doesn't have standards like other people have standards when he sees you, even in your lowest place, even when you're surrounded by guilt and shame and condemnation, he says, and reveals to you, I am that Christ. It's just a beautiful thing. And here's the Samaritan woman. She gets this revelation. And this is where I'm going to pause here. My message today, I'm going to talk about what do you do next? What do you do next? Here's the Samaritan woman. She encounters Jesus. She gets a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. He reveals that he's the Christ, the Messiah that everybody's waiting for. Now what? Now what? 
And a lot of us, we're in that position. Y'all went to the retreat. You got blessed. Y'all went to, you know, the New Philly retreat. Y'all got blessed. You guys went to last Tuesday's large group. Y'all got blessed, shaking on the ground, you know, screaming, crying, laughing. I don't know what you did. But now what? Now what? So you encounter Jesus. Now what? What do you do now? What do you do now? That's the question that I hope you're asking yourself. What do I do with what I received? What do I do with this encounter that I had with the Lord? Now what? What do I do? Now, Jesus here, he mentions a water that's living. That when you take a drink of it, you don't get thirsty again. And later on, it's referenced in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, some of you might have heard that passage. In fact, maybe somebody prayed those words over you. Maybe someone laid hands on your belly and said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And you're like, okay, what in the world does that mean? It didn't just stop there. It didn't just stop when you drink this water, you won't thirst anymore. Period. End of the story. The end. Amen. It said, you will drink of a water that when you drink of it, you won't thirst anymore. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. What does this mean? What are they talking about here? What now? You encountered the love of God. What now? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, what now? What now? I want you guys to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. <coughs> and Ezekiel chapter 47 is, is this, uh, basically the prophet Ezekiel gets this crazy supernatural encounter with an angel. In fact, if you look a little bit early on in Ezekiel, this angel is described to be I can find it. A man that was clothed in white, and when he met him, he had a measuring stick in his hand. And he leads them throughout a series of different visions. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 40, it gives a little bit of a background. It says, in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, of the 10th day of the month, on the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, prophet Ezekiel, and he brought me into the city. In visions God of God, he brought me into the land of Israel, and he set me down on a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. And when he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing at the get gateway. And so here's this man in bronze and leading him through a series of different visions. And the, one of the last visions that he shows Ezekiel is this one right here in chapter 47. And it's a vision of water flowing from the temple. And this man leads Ezekiel to this amazing temple. And from the gates of the temple is literally rivers flowing out of the gate. And all of a sudden he gets led and, he's, and the, Ezekiel is just kind of following this man who's leading him. And this man takes out a measuring stick and begins to measure 10 cubits. And then he says, come. And Ezekiel walks into the river and it's about ankle deep. 
And then he measures 10 more and he walks in and it's about knee deep and waist deep. And it goes on and on until he just couldn't pass through. But it's this vision of a temple and out of the temple is a river flowing out of the gates and going into the sea. Now, turn with me to verse 8 in particular, 47. And he said to me, this water flows from the eastern region and goes down to Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Now stay with me here. They're talking about this river of life. And this sea that's mentioned here is actually referred to the Dead Sea. You guys know about the Dead Sea at all? Now the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because of its salt, the level of salt that's in the sea. And it's just so salty. It's like a bad version of salty. It's so salty that nothing living can survive. I think the only thing that survives in the Dead Sea is a couple of types of bacteria and a little bit of algae. But if you were to ever get like a freshwater fish and it mistakenly found its way in the Dead Sea, instantly it'll die and it'll crystallize because of the salt. Like it's the Dead Sea. And it's about six to seven times saltier than the ocean. And if you go about 300 feet deep, deep, it's about 10 times saltier than the ocean. It is salty, like nasty salty. In fact, people who were ever in the water, it's kind of like an oil substance. It's kind of a weird, and, and if you ever go in, you'll float immediately because the buoyancy, the, the salt level versus the water in you, you're just like, like you, know, you don't even try. You're just like, whoop. And you just float to the top, but it, I don't think it's very pleasant. It's a little bit nasty, if you ask me. And it's called the Dead Sea. And the reason why it's called the Dead Sea is because this particular body of water has rivers flowing into it. Rivers. Rivers from the mountain, the, mainly the Jordan River, is flowing into the Dead Sea. But what happens is it's kind of like surrounded by land, and it's just there. The water just collects, and then that's it. it the water flows in, but nothing goes out. The water flows in and nothing goes out. And because nothing goes out, the only way that the water leaves is by evaporation. So now when the water evaporates, what it leaves is just the salt. See, when water is going down a river, it's going to collect the salt. It's going to collect minerals, things from the mountain. You know, water flowing down. And so it's going to get into this sea with all that junk. And now it's just salt, which is normal. But usually there's an output where the water goes out and therefore it can maintain a certain level of salt. But because it just stays in this pool, basically the only thing that happens to the water is it evaporates and it just gets saltier and saltier and saltier and saltier and it becomes a dead sea because nothing can survive. Now stay with me. When you encounter God, you begin to get connected to the source of all life. And you get the river of life flowing into your very being. And you begin to experience life where you've never experienced before. But get this. If you just stay the recipient, you will become like the Dead Sea. If you receive and do not give, you will decay. And everything that touches you will decay as well. The question is, what now? What do you do now? My answer is, you got to let the river flow. 
You got to let it flow and you got to let it flow out of you. It's not about just taking a sip and feeling satisfied. Oh, I feel good now. God touched me. Oh, I feel good now. I can encounter Jesus. No, that is not the end. John 7, 38 ends with rivers of living water will flow out from your belly. Now, whenever you see a river, you see life all around the river. You'll see trees around the river. You'll see fish in the river. You'll see normally people back in the day when it was migration, when people would migrate uh, and live nomadically, they would try to find a body of water and settle there. And they will move according to the water. Why? Because where water is, there's life. Where water is, there's life. But what happens is too many believers, we get so excited, we get so filled, and we just receive, 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 receive. And slowly the water begins to evaporate, and all we get is saltier and saltier and saltier. And all of a sudden we become like a cesspool of death. And we wonder why we don't continue growing. We wonder why things, oh, I had this high at the retreat, but now I'm here. Why did that happen? Because you didn't give it away. Because you didn't let nothing out. Because you received but gave nothing. This is an important message because if you want to continue to flow and receive and flow out, you got to understand that you need to give it away. You need to give it away. The Samaritan woman encounters Jesus. She gets the revelation that he's a Christ. And what does she do? She leaves her water jar, the word of God says. And she runs back to her town. The very town that accused her, condemned her, shamed her. She ran straight into the town and shouted that, could he be the Christ? I met a man who told me everything. Could he be the Christ? She began to testify to her very enemies. She began to testify of what Jesus has done in her. And immediately, she began to testify. The message I have for you is simple. You're blessed because you're designed to be a blessing. It's not all about you. And you can see it in scripture over and over and over again. It's not just about one person. When Jesus saw the Samaritan woman and he revealed his very being of who he was, instead of seeing one woman, he saw a whole town. She ran back into the town and it says many believed because of her testimony. Later on, they got so hungry that now they went to Jesus themselves. They went to Jesus themselves and Jesus spoke to them personally and many more believed. And they said, it's not just your testimony anymore. It's I hear from Jesus himself. And the whole town came to know the Lord. Why? Because of one woman. What if I told you when Jesus blessed you this semester, he wasn't just seeing one person. He saw your whole, your whole campus. He saw your whole family. He saw your mom. He saw your sister. He saw your brother. He saw your friend that you know is depressed and is, is suicidal. He saw all those people around you that is desperate and hungry for him. He saw them when he blessed you. Do you see them? Do you see them? The Samaritan woman immediately responded. Immediately. In fact, when Moses encountered God in the burning bush, was it just for Moses to be encountered? 
No, Moses encountered the Lord so that all of Israel would be delivered from captivity. Paul and Silas, they were locked up in jail in Acts. And all of a sudden they began to worship God. And, and as they worshiped God, an earthquake happened. And literally the chains on their wrists and feet broke off. And the guards looked at them and was like, who is this God that you serve? And how do I know him? And the guards got blessed. But get this, the guards took them to the guards home. And the whole family was baptized. That moment when the guards saw Paul and Silas and saw the power of God through them, it wasn't just about them. It was about the whole family. When Apostle Paul encountered God as Saul, who was persecuting Christians, he saw a blinding light got totally jacked up. Was it just for him? Or did it? end up being a, the main spokesperson for Gentiles. Everybody that wasn't a Jew, Apostle Paul represented a man who, who opened the door for the gospel to be revealed to those who weren't Jews. That's a whole lot of people. In fact, that's why you and I can say that we're Christians and we can say that we're sons of God because of the very testimony of Apostle Paul. Even the disciples, when they were blessed, it wasn't, oh, me and Jesus, we're besties. And it didn't just end there. When Jesus ascended into heaven, these disciples caused havoc all over. Everywhere that they went, even when they were persecuted, it didn't matter. They continued to grow and grow and grow. And the church began to multiply and multiply. And more and more people began to become Christians. Why? Because they knew that they weren't just blessed for themselves. They were blessed to be a blessing. But one thing you need to leave behind in order to be a blessing unto others, is your water jar. Why did the Samaritan woman leave her water jar? This water jar represented everything that she felt she lacked in. She came in to the well thirsty. Her water jar empty. It symbolized her need. I have nothing. I am thirsty. I am not satisfied. But when she encountered Jesus, she encountered the abundance and she left that water jar and she ran into the town. The problem is we encounter Jesus, but we're still holding on to the water jar. We're convinced that we still lack. Oh, I don't have the knowledge to evangelize to my friends. I don't know what to say if they ask me hard theological questions. So what? I'm not bold enough. I'm scared to approach my parents because, you know, they're Buddhists and, and I know that they would severely would be angry at me. Do you know that? Everything that scares you, everything that causes anxiety about you being a blessing to another person is the water jar. Every revelation, every deception that makes you feel like you're lacking something, that you're missing something. That keeps you at the well because it says, oh, you still need to draw more. You draw more, draw more. You're missing something. You're missing something. Everything that tells you that you are in lack is the water jar. And God is saying today, leave it. Oh, but I don't have any friends. I don't even have anybody to evangelize to. Shut up. Turn to the left and turn to the right. Oh, but I'm not good with words. I don't know what. Shut up. It's not a matter of words. It's about a demonstration of power. How did you find yourself here? Because someone was good with words or because somebody loved you or because somebody was kind to you because somebody invited you to lunch because someone said, Hey, come to the retreat. 
Why are you here? Why are you sitting here being blessed? Because someone gave you the theology background of the Bible and went all the way from Genesis to Revelation and explained every question that you had? No, because you encountered the love of the Father. That's why you're sitting here. You are designed to be a blessing unto others. And if you sit here with your mouths open and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to continue to receive, get ready to become the Dead Sea. Get ready for your Christian walk to dwindle. Why? Because in John 15 said, every branch that does not bear fruit, I will cut off. Jesus is gangster. He's very much interested in you being blessed, but he's more interested in you fulfilling your destiny of being a blessing unto others. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I have rivers of living water flowing from me. It's time you leave your agenda. It's time you leave your plans. It's time you leave your safety net, what you're comfortable with, what you think you know. It's time you leave the deception of lack. It's time that you leave that place. You are full. You are abundant. When you took the sip of Jesus Christ, you connected to the source where you will never be thirsty again. Now it's time for you to flow out. It's time for you to talk to that person who sits next to you in class, who you know is struggling, and just say hello. Can I buy you lunch? You don't have to overtly, do you know that you'll be going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus Christ? Like, y'all need to, listen, some of you guys got saved this semester. If I were to come up to you and say, you're going to go to hell if you, if you don't believe in Jesus, it would, is that what drew you in? The word of God says his kindness leads us to repentance. All I'm asking you is to be kind to somebody. I'm asking you to think about somebody other than yourself and you're already manifesting the father's heart. I'm telling you, you guys are so much more equipped than you think you are. You are so much more full than you think you are. It's time to leave the water jar. What now? What do you do now? I've encountered God. I've gotten prophesied over. I got slain in the spirit. I'm speaking in tongues. What now? I'm telling you, give it away. I'm telling you, give it away. What now? Love somebody else. Love somebody else. You know, this changed my paradigm because I was scared. I was going to say something bad. I found that back. I was scared. A lot. I was scared a lot when it came to expressing my faith to other people. I was scared. Why was I scared? Because most of the time it was because I was living a hypocritical life. And because I knew that they saw me in the club. So if I was like, hey, come, you know, Jesus. I knew that they'd be like, girl, weren't you up there on top of the bar dancing? Getting, Oh, yes, that was me. You know, I was, I was afraid that I had to be perfect. I was afraid that I had to have it 100% put together before I can talk about Jesus to anybody else. I was afraid of that. I was afraid that, that people would know that I loved God. I know that's weird, but I was afraid because I was afraid that they would reject me. I was afraid that they would think that, oh, you're one of those people. I felt that it would cause division in our friendship 
hey, I'm cool with this person, but if I mention God, what is it going to do with my relationship with them? How's it going to affect my relationship with them? I was afraid I didn't have the answers. I was afraid that if I brought the topic up and they asked one question, I would just sit there stunned and be like, man, I don't even know if I know Jesus anymore. I was afraid that they would influence me more than I could influence them. All of those fears, all of those concerns, God is calling you to throw it down. I was blown away, blown away when I found out that evangelizing was nothing like that. I went to a trip to Thailand. And on this trip, I ministered to prostitutes in brothels. And I went with a team. And basically, every night we went to Pattaya, which was a huge red light district. Um, it's a, what do you call, port city. And so, you know, there's a lot of men coming in and out. And I just saw all these old white men with these young, young, young Thai girls. And it just made me like, like writhe with anger and pain. And, um, man, I remember walking in a particular road called Walking Street. And Walking Street is like, it's like Rodeo Drive for prostitutes. So Walking Street has the best of the best girls, like the most beautiful, the most, um, uh, you know, plastic surgery, you know, just gorgeous, gorgeous women, the women that were Russian women, um, Thai women. It wasn't just Thai women. It was Cambodian, um, Laos, a lot of surrounding Southeast Asian countries where they were poor. A lot of these women would be tricked into coming in or their parents would sell them knowingly. And so it was a crazy, it was just crazy. And just walking the walking street, I was just filled with anger, more and more anger. And I remember seeing there was a sign that literally said Lucifer. And it it was a neon devil face with horns. And it was like, it like moved, you know? And I was like, and I was just looking at it like, unbelievable. As if Satan was saying, this is my territory. Oh, you in my, you in my playground now. And we were doing prayer walks, and I was just, and I remember walking down, and I saw two Korean men. Because it's actually men from all over the world go on prostitute sex tours. You know how you book a vacation to Thailand through a tour, and they take you to beaches? Well, this is like booking a vacation tour, but for prostitutes. And part of the tour was they go to stop by Walking Street. And I saw these Korean men with a polo shirt, but with a Korean flag on the polo shirt holding a video camera, just filming, smiling, filming like this. They probably were about 25. And I looked at them, and I wanted to literally bash their face in. I've never been filled with so much anger than that moment because when I saw them, I saw my dad, I saw my brother, I saw my uncle. I saw The fact that they were a Korean man, it made me feel like, You know, like, you're my family, and this is what you're doing? I was heated. Seeing little girls, even elementary school, daughters of the prostitutes themselves hanging out at the bar. In fact, those destinies of those little girls are probably either to become a child prostitute or to be sold for work, whatever it may be. I remember walking home back to the hotel and seeing a pole, you know, girls dancing on a pole, and about a girl who was probably about seven years old dancing on the pole just because she saw her mom do it. 
And I remember the next day, I got so convicted because the team that we were working with said, it's easy to love the prostitutes, but can you love the men who are going to them? And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> In fact, a lot of the men who go to child prostitutes in particular... The statistics say, this is a statistic they gave me. I can't give you a source, but one of the statistics that they shared was about 90% of those men were molested themselves as children. It's so easy for us to point and be like, you're disgusting. But do we know their story? And so here I was, I'm supposed to evangelize. And I just didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, okay, how am I supposed to evangelize to a Thai woman who's working, you know, who's a prostitute? And my typical thing of evangelism, which is, hi, do you know Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he, you know, like, I just didn't know what to do. And, and, and I thought it was just this one way. You only evangelize this one way. The river flows out only one way. That's what I thought my whole life. And here, it, the, 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 the mission trip was called Operation Extreme Love. And they said, you don't even need to mention Jesus yet. All you need to do is love them. Go to the bar, buy a drink, drink with them, get to know them, and hear their story. And that will open up the door. So that's what I did. Like, what would they want as a woman? They knew I wasn't a paying customer, so I had to buy something. So I'd be like, hey, can I get a soda? Like, okay, here's a Coke. And I was like, well, what do you like to drink? And they'll probably name something alcoholic. I'll pay for your drink too. Sit down. And I began to ask them, hey, so where are you from? And they would tell me their stories about where they came from. And slowly but surely, I just, I began to say, hey, um, I want to bless you. Is it okay if I pray for you? They were like, yeah, sure, sure. I was so surprised. I never got turned down once. Every single person I asked, do you need prayer? Immediately said, please pray for me. I need blessing. Of course, their concept of prayer was very different because it's very spiritual in Thailand. And they worship a lot of different gods. In fact, every prostitute brothel has a, a little bit of a shrine where they would give drink offerings and things like that. But they were desperate. They were desperate for some sort of supernatural intervention. And so I would say, can I pray for you? And they please pray for me. And so many women, I asked, what's your prayer request? They said, pray that a man would fall in love with me and take me out of this place. Pray that a man would fall in love with me. It's called the Pattaya dream. There's something called the American dream, right? Where you go in America and you, you know, get the white picket fence and the house and the dog and all that American dream come out of nothing. But the Pattaya dream is you go become a prostitute so that a foreign man can fall in love with you and that he'll, he'll whisk you out of prostitution and pay for you and all the debts of your family back in whatever country you're coming from. And so they said, please pray for a man. And boom, the moment I heard it, I remember looking at a woman and saying, I know a man who loves you right now. In fact, he's a man that is head over heels in love with you. And they said, what? What? And I was like, yeah, girl. And this man, he ain't no wimpy man. He's a strong man. So, okay. In fact, he's a man that loved you so much that he laid down his life so that you can love him back. And all of a sudden, their hearts would just begin to open up. 
And I began to preach the gospel, and we saw so many salvations. Some of them would say, I'm sick. Can you pray for healing? We'd pray for them immediately. Tumors, size of tennis balls, shrinking down to nothing. Legs, so many legs that were uneven. Legs growing out right in front of their eyes, and they were... (gasps) All of a sudden, my understanding of evangelism and what it means to manifest... The Father's love radically got transformed. And I finally got it. It's not about convincing people with your words. It's about loving them. Even one simple act of kindness. It started with me just buying a drink. And rivers of living water were already flowing from my belly. It's about asking them, hey, how's your life? Is there something that I can pray for you? Because I'm a Christian and I believe God answers prayer. And I want to bless you. I want to pray for you. Do that with sincerity. Not a lot of people will deny you. In fact, you'll be surprised how many people are desperate for some sort of supernatural intervention in their lives. And they'll be quick to tell you, you know what? My mom is sick. And I don't know what to do. Like, do you think you can pray about that? The one revelation that I got on that trip that blew me away that I want to tell you today is that people are thirsty. We think, oh, we have rivers of living water, but nobody wants to sit. You're wrong. Everybody's thirsty. Everybody's so thirsty. People are parched. You ever ever go on a hot summer day and, like, run, and you need that water, and you're like, Have you ever got, have you guys ever been thirsty? You know, maybe not because we're so spoiled. You know, we have water everywhere. But I remember I went to missions in India and India, okay, listen, we were in India. We were in Delhi at the time and we stayed over uh, Auntie Aruna's house, this amazing Indian woman. But her water, she had like a water filtration system, but it didn't filter nothing. When you take a sip, it straight up tasted like salt water. And so if you drink it, you're, so, you're more thirsty than you were. And I remember we didn't buy any bottles of water that night. And so I was sleeping and I kept waking up in the middle of the night because I was so thirsty. And I would go and I'd like get that water, fil- you know, the filtered water. And I'm <sighs> and I go to the bathroom and I turn on the faucet and I'm like, Oh, I don't know what to do. It's like brown a little bit, you know, like rocks coming out. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, Lord, help me sleep. I remember the next morning when we finally got water, I got my bottle. I was like, so thirsty, so thirsty. There's a passage that says, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You know, something about a deer that you guys might not know, but a deer needs water continuously. It's not like one sip and, you know, you're good to go. Some of y'all don't drink enough water. You know, me, I try to drink water. I, normally, I used to hate water. Like, I, it had to have sugar. I needed some iced tea. I need some Capri, some Tang. Okay, put some powder in there. Shake it. I'll drink it. But if it's just water, it just wasn't good. It did it. I just, I don't like the taste of water, you know. I don't know where I was going with that. But listen, the deer needs water continuously. And that's why the psalmist David was saying, like a deer who needs continuous water, my soul, it longs for you. 
I'm continually thirsty, not for the things of the world, but you. People are thirsty. And we need to break out of that lie that they don't want to hear what you have to say. In fact, they're desperate to hear it. Will you be rejected? Yeah, you will. Get over it. Will you be misunderstood? Yeah, you will. Get over it. Will you be judged? Yes, you will. Get over it. Will you lead people to the refreshing waters of God? Absolutely. Will that outweigh every single time someone said no? Absolutely. I've been rejected so many times. I've been on the streets evangelizing. I got uh, looked at. I got yelled at. Yo, I got yelled at for ruining people's day. Like, you ruining my day. Okay? You ruining my day. I'm I'm sorry. God bless you. Jesus loves you. Says in the word, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. You're blessed if someone says yes, and you're blessed if they say no. You walk away more filled every single time. What now? What do you do now? You got to let the river flow. And I think it's time we break every misconception of what it means to let the river flow. Your family is in desperate need to hear the words that you heard. Your mom, your dad is in desperate need to experience the peace that you now feel. Your friends are in desperate need to get something that just gives them real joy, not temporary happiness. And everything that they need is inside of each and every single one of you. What now? It's time to let the river flow. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, let it flow. <laughs> I'm talking about you and I not becoming like the Dead Sea. We're rivers and different streams where you have pastors speaking into you, small group leaders speaking into you, now friends speaking into you, and everybody's speaking to you, but you ain't speaking to nobody. That's the Dead Sea right there. No more. It's time for you to be a river that flows from the temple, like Ezekiel chapter 47. In verse 8, it says, again, I'll read it again. The water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to Arabah and enters the sea. This is the Dead Sea they're talking about here. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to England. And it will be a place of spreading of nets. Its fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. When you understand that a river of living water flows from you, and you operate in that understanding and revelation, now when you touch other people's dead sea, everything becomes fresh. 
Now what's dead in their lives, when they encounter you, they hear you, they fellowship with you, now all of a sudden they see life in their lives. You may not even mention the name of Jesus the first hundred, it doesn't even matter. Eventually they're going to notice something's different about you. When things go bad and they want to get depressed, why are you still happy? Well, how come this is not affecting you? All of a sudden, they're going to pick up that something is different about you, and they're going to ask you. Or you're going to see them in such a low place, and you're going to open up that door, and you're going to say, listen, I know somebody that can help you with this situation. A boldness is going to come upon you, and that water jar, you're just going to throw it to the ground, and you're going to run straight into the very place of maybe where you've been rejected before. The thing about us is we've been rejected by men before, and that's what keeps us from approaching them. People have rejected us. People have already rejected us, maybe not for the gospel, but for something else. And the thought of that happening again, it scares us. But this Samaritan woman was so filled with the revelation of Jesus Christ, she could care less. She could care less. The very people that pointed their fingers at her and said, you are a prostitute, She ran straight to them and said, I met a man who told me everything about me. I met a man who I think is the Christ. And that testimony is going to begin to multiply and prophesy. I want you guys to close your eyes with me. The question is, what now? Now what? Have you guys been blessed recently? Now what? Have you encountered the power of God? Now what? Every time the Spirit of God fell on a man, the purpose of it was to empower the man to share the love of God to others. Every single time. Every single time the Spirit of God fell on somebody in the Bible. You guys focus. Don't get distracted. Every single time the Spirit of God fell on a man or a woman, it was for the purpose for that man or woman to go out and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. It's not about you getting hit with the fire. It doesn't just stop there. It's not about you now feeling new and feeling good about life. It doesn't just stop there. It's not about you just being set free from your bondages and from your lies. It doesn't stop there. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Isaiah 61, we've been meditating on Isaiah 60, arise and shine, arise and shine. But the very next chapter, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. And to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you so that you can set others free. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you so that you can release the very power to others. The love of God has overtaken you so that you can now love others with that same love. What now? I'll tell you what. It's time to let your rivers flow. It's time to let your rivers flow. And I'm telling you, if you keep yourself at the well and you keep on holding that water jar and telling yourself that you just need to get filled. Oh, I'm not filled enough yet. 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 If you stay there, you will decay. Come on. I know you guys are thinking about even one person right now that you know you got to talk to. You're thinking of that one person. And when you think about it, some of you just get, you're afraid. You're concerned. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? What if they reject me? What if they, what if it calls a wall in our relationship? My response is, what if they say yes? What if they open up their heart? What if their lives get dramatically transformed? What if they experience the love of God? How about we think about those what ifs? And begin to let that joy outweigh every other what if that causes us to stay paralyzed. Come on, I want you to just begin to pray. And I want you to begin to pray by name. Just that one person that you have on your heart right now. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. And I want you to just begin to declare, God, I want to be bold. I want to be the Samaritan woman. I want to be one that will lay everything down and just begin to be bold in my faith and speak out what you have spoken over me.